You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. What's up, everybody? Here we are, Vox at Hops, episode number 29. Uh, today is just about the end of the hell over North America, the Blast Beat Party with Aborted and now Hideous Divinity and Cryptopsy. Last night we were in Montreal. Today we are in Rouen Aranda. We had a crazy drive to get here. It was extremely, extremely bouncy and bumpy and just just an all-around horrible, horrible experience. But we are here. We made it safely. And uh, I know it will be a good show because Rowan Aranda never disappoints. When this comes out, it's going to be, sadly, our last day of the Blast Beat Party. Uh, tonight in Toronto. Friday in Toronto. Uh, is Cryptopsy's last show. I am stoked to play in Toronto. It's been a while. I hadn't been there. Sadly, we had to uh, cancel our performance at the Indianapolis show this coming Saturday due to uh, circumstances out of our control. Uh, I heavily urge you to still go and check out the show, hang out with the aborted dudes, hang out with Hideous Divinity. If you want to bring me beer and you want to bring them beer, feel free. I'll organize it and I'll still get you a guest list spot, but it has to be a private message to me so that works. Uh, I want to give a huge, huge shout out to all these people who came and supported uh, Vox and Hops as well as the Cryptopsy Boys uh, with some free beer, free tasty craft beer. We got Bob Williams and Marcus Guglielmo, Nick Shaw, who came out uh, the basis of Black Crown, initiate, and he brought me a sick-ass Kentucky bourbon stout from Founders. It was delicious. Thank you, Nick. Uh, my bus wife... Dante Dalton came out in Baltimore, and uh, even though he's not a craft beer head, he did well, and he chose some good beers for me. Huge shout-out to Steve Miller. He brought out some sick-ass IPAs, uh, almost as good as uh, what we get up here in Montreal. Really, really appreciate that, Steve. Kenneth Hora, you got some delicious, delicious, too. A stout and an IPA and a growler the other day when you were in New York City. Thank you so much for that. Uh, David Ayot, uh, you brought me out a whole bunch of local Quebec beers when you're in Quebec City. That was much appreciated. Thank you for that. And my bud, Ryan Andrade, came through and hooked me up with a focal banger and a heady topper from the Alchemist last night in Montreal. My beer of the week, though, has to go to uh, a beer which one of my guests provided for the podcast, uh, my first return podcast, Andrew Garrity, the monster, brought me a monster of a beer, the Funky Buddha, the Love Below. Absolutely delicious, an imperial Russian stout aged in Cabernet Sauvignon and bourbon barrels with cherries and chocolate and other natural flavors. It was just a delectable, um, boozy yet extremely fruity, chocolatey beer. It was a, a beautiful, beautiful experience. Thank you for that, Garrity, and I'm looking forward to sharing the part two episode of our discussion where you turn to the dark side. Today on the podcast... We have Dave Otero of Flatline Audio. He is known for recording Cephalic Carnage, uh, Chemist, as well as he's getting ready to record Cattle Decapitation Record once again. So check it all out. This is Vox and Hops, episode number 29. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. 
What's up, everybody? Here I am today. I'm with Dave Otero, the producer. We are in your hometown. We are in Denver, Colorado. We are. I was excited. I was excited to come back to Denver because there's lots of great fucking beer. There's lots of beer, yeah. It's kind of like the Mecca, the original Mecca in the States anyway for craft beer and homebrew and that whole scene, really. Yeah, we're backstage right now, so just there's a band playing upstairs, yeah. so there will be some noise. But I wanted to talk to Dave. I wanted to get a good interview with him, nonetheless. So uh, tell people a little bit who you are, what you do. Uh, my name's Dave Otero. As you mentioned, I have a studio here in Denver called Flatline Audio. Um, I record all kinds of stuff. Kind of, I guess I'm known for the metal stuff on the extreme sides, Fallout Carnage, Archspire. Um, cattle decapitation um but i also do black metal and rock and kind of radio rock kind of really anything that's like on the heavy spectrum uh and i'm i'm also a big beer fan and was like a pretty hardcore home brewer for many years and and uh kind of have my roots in in uh, that scene as well so that's awesome that's awesome that's uh, so you're a craft beer enthusiast yeah yeah i I'm maybe less so than I uh, currently than I have been in the past. I kind of fallen out of the like the hardcore craft beer uh, mania uh, as of late. But um, but yeah, I still enjoy it. I, I love beer as much as I always have. Do you remember your first experience with beer? Uh, my first experience with beer would be like you know having a sip out of a Dixie cup on my dad's lap when I was like three or something like that. <laughs> honestly, strangely, is one of my earliest memories. My, um, my dad actually passed away when I was really young. I was like three or four. That sucks. And man. I only have a handful of memories. And one of them, honestly, is like sipping beer from a little tiny Dixie cup. And when I, I mean, literally, it was like probably barely eating solid food. <laughs> but I, even when I was a kid, I always loved beer. It's really kind of funny now because I don't, I don't really gravitate towards lagers or like traditional American lagers these days. But when I was like, I, there was a period when I was like ten where I, I would like beg my mom to let me order like non-alcoholic beers at restaurants or really? stuff like that. Yeah. And she would. She was cool about it. And I did that for a while. I've always just kind of liked that taste, I guess. Um, probably more so then than I do now as far as like standard, you know, whatever, like a non-alcoholic beer. I can't, haven't had one price since then. I imagine <laughs> it would taste like fucking garbage. We have, we, have a, we have some good non-alcoholic craft beer coming, out, coming yeah, okay. out up in, uh, in Montreal. Oh, yeah. cool. Cool. La Bacale. Shout out to those guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of craft beer, yeah. uh, I have been doing... A somewhat of a contest, a participation thing with my fans, and uh, today Alex Ward brought me out some true brewing beers, and uh, this is the Cosmic Crypt. It's a farmhouse pale ale. Awesome. Let's see what this sucker's got. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers, Alex. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Ooh, that's nice. It's special. It's um, It smells nice and like a farmhouse there. Almost smells like a sour a little bit. It did, like that, they use a lot of their house culture, so it definitely has some sour stuff. Actually, has like a, a more uh, straight bitterness than a lot of true beers yeah. do. Yeah, they're really not known for like the IBU style bitterness. Okay. You know, they'll do aromatic stuff, but uh, this actually has some bite to it more than a lot of true beers. This is really good. Yes. Yeah, thank you, Alex Ward. All their all the true beers are amazing. Do you remember your first experience with craft beer? I do, actually. Um, and it was... Let me see if I can date it. 
Um, probably would have been like very early 2000s. And a buddy of mine, his dad was from California and sent him a bomber of Arrogant Bastard. Okay. Yeah, and yeah, I had yeah. never had anything like... I mean, there weren't a lot of beers like that. Mm-hmm. And this was before you could even get that stuff in Colorado. Colorado obviously had its own craft beer, but nothing like crazy, you know, aggressive bitterness like that. Um, double IPA or what? Uh, I don't know. I think they just call it a strong ale. I don't know mm-hmm. where, where it's classified. But and I, I like loved it immediately. I think I'm um, not particularly sensitive to, to bitterness. I discovered this in uh in my really dweeby homebrewing days when i was part of a homebrewing club uh we had like a tasting week or something like that or month and uh someone brought these like strips uh and there's like two types of chemical bitterness i guess that that are in beer and that are in food and there's little like strips it's like taking acid or something really you know and you put it on your tongue and you can see what which ones you're more sensitive to oh, that's super interesting yeah mm-hmm. and um both of them just tasted like paper to me like <laughs> i like literally not like i didn't get bitterness out of all of them and other people were like oh my god Girl, you know reacting yeah, their they, tongues, yeah they couldn't handle it so I, I maybe that's why i like uh I tend to gravitate towards like super bitter like beers and and uh, arrogant bastard was tasted like incredible to me that first time uh, and like it was a shock you know like drinking like black coffee is at first you know yeah, there's, that's right. there's yeah. an element of beer and a lot of these beverages that are an acquired taste it is it's, it's a developing your palate it is yeah. yeah so it was shocking but it like re- like I by the end of my half of a 22 ounce bottle i was in love so (laughs) hooked yeah uh what is your favorite style of beer to be boring probably ipas that's just what i like i mean maybe it goes back that bitterness thing i really like that everything from like the pure like ibu bombs to like the juicy um you know hazy crazy stuff yeah Yeah, that's like that's kind of popped up and then but i probably like would would mostly gravitate to my roots of like pliny and stuff like that just like like really dry high alcohol um very flavorful aromatic ipas but still with like a pretty harsh like bitterness to them and super dry i prefer dry uh, at least in that style because i do gravitate towards high gravity beers i Mm -hmm. like them to be pretty dry just so they don't like kill you so fast you know (laughs) those headaches in the next morning yeah and they just like start tasting sweet and it reminds me of like drinking like coke or something and i really like cola or sweet beverages i don't don't touch that yeah i mean but beer can like after three like you know um uh, doubles or something like that you know they can get kind of cloying i guess so Mm. so i like i prefer the really dry ipas i would think denver has a bunch of sick breweries yeah what would be your favorite go-to brewery true hands down of course i mean that's like the stock answer um but uh, not only because they're like good buds of mine but because it's like their beers are unlike anything else uh you really just won't you like you won't find beers like this anywhere they're always brewed well and they kind of keep me on my toes like i do love sours 100 percent and they do a lot of that and they're just more interesting they kind of like have like a house flavor and they have a house culture and they do things a little bit differently it's not like uh, a brown ale with like a picture of a dog on the bottle <laughs> like every other colorado it's brewery. like and it's sort of like metal it really is yeah, yeah. which is interesting the i actually the artwork you know? i actually met so um the, the owner of true uh nick 
was in my homebrew club with me before he started uh true or during the process it wasn't open yet and i met him and he actually he's i said something about uh recording bands and he's like wait a second do you record a band called a legion so there's a band from town Mm -hmm. called a legion and he had like been a fan of theirs on the first album and had like watched the studio videos or something okay, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, "Oh, I'm going to start a metal brewery." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm sure you are." Every, <laughs> yeah, and I, I like you know you hear a lot of talk like that, so I kind of I was like, "Yeah, I'll believe it when I see it." And then the more I obviously got to know, I was like, "Oh, you're you're actually a smart the real driven deal, dude." Man. Yeah, and then he opened it up and just started crushing it. And then uh, now. Um, their head brewer Zach is also a, a good friend and client of mine. He plays drums in the band Chemist, which is another band I work yes, with. Yes, I like it. I like yeah. Chemist. Yeah. So he's the, the drummer of Chemist is is the head brewer. It's, it's really, really, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's really like taken, kind of taken over the the beer creative portion of the the business. Where I mean, Nick still obviously they, they all they talk about that stuff, but he's kind of spearheaded the direction they've gone in, and he has a lot of interest in. Um, you know, uh, wild fermentation and house mm-hmm. cultures and sourcing local ingredients, you know, when they, when they do fruit beers, you know, not like, you know, fruit beers, like in the sour sense that they're using cherries or peaches. They do a lot of Colorado. They've, they've done, um, Colorado peaches before. What's the one that we like? Invisible thread is one of their seasonals they've done for two years. It's like a, a peach, uh, sour. That's like phenomenal. That's like awesome, absolutely phenomenal. And Zach tells me stories about driving, you know, five hours west and stringing up a hammock between peach trees on this guy's orchard and sleeping out there. And then they load their truck up with fresh peaches the next day, drive back. I mean, they, that's unbelievable. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's really cool. And I, and I like that aspect of it too. Like it can be metal and also like, you know, a little, a little new age. Yeah, it is, but it's cool. I mean, that's, you know, that's awesome. That's I, I'm awesome. glad that's that they, very Denver too. Yeah. <laughs> and it's cool. That they, they, uh, in particular, like, like to know where the ingredients are you know coming from and keep it local and develop relationships with the farmers and stuff like that it's just pretty awesome kind of attitude i think it's it's like the way it should be and not just be greedy buying the cheapest stuff and that's a cool thing about beer too is like how i think i i enjoy beer more when it's like local and kind of centered around the community and how like taverns and breweries like started back in the day you know like and if you go to true that's kind of the environment like they have obviously the bar and bar stools but then the the rest of the seating is like a long uh, i think it's called like a long stable it's like a viking table that's like 40 feet long or something like that with benches and you just sit next to someone and you know like it's kind of it feels like an old viking tavern it's dark and black and there's metal planes communal yeah. uh, i should have gone i should yeah gone. no you gotta at some point you have to go i will next yeah. time it's on the it's, top of my priorities yeah that's amazing you talked about being a part of a home brewer yep club uh, let's talk a bit about that yeah how did that work out do you remember you know your first home brew successes uh what what type of beer would have that been uh my i yeah i was honestly probably best uh brewing high gravity beers and i did better at stouts and i think that's because those tend to like hide more of the flaws (laughs) (laughs) i was okay for a while i will say i got pretty serious i was doing like 10 gallon all grain batches and stuff like that and 
Um, you would share it with friends, you know, with, yeah, the, yeah, with the yeah, brewers yeah. clubs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we had, you know, I had a, I still have a kegerator that's sadly been empty for too many years, but, um, I have a lot of that stuff. I haven't like had the passion for it lately. It's super time consuming. And you're, I, you're pretty busy. And I've just been, I think that's really what it is. And, but it, um, it also, I, th- I mean, I was busy back then too, but it served as a good escape. It's just mm-hmm. a, a hobby that, you know, an all grain brew is like a six to eight hour process with all the cleaning. So I sometimes finish up a session and start at like 6 p.m. and be brewing until like until two, 2 in the morning. morning yeah. yeah. And then go to bed tired as fuck because it's hard. It's hard work. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of. And you want your ears to be sharp the next yeah. day. You need to sleep. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it was really fun. I was way into it. I mean, even to this day, my backyard is uh, has perennial hops that grow along the fences. Really? Yeah, I used to pick those and dry them. That's and so cool. I made some wet hop beers. And really? We did. I did some cool stuff that the brew club actually did. I think we one of the coolest things we did was we wound up with like a whiskey barrel at some point mm. and we all we like wrote a recipe together and it was like a belgian double and we all aged like, it we all brewed it and then all racked all of our our, our beers nick included actually into this uh, whiskey barrel for a few months it lived in someone's garage and it came out all right it was not bad for like something like that with brewers of all different skill sets you know and actually there are out of that brew club there are a handful of like breweries that are one there's one in town called cerebral brewing uh by my buddy chris who i haven't seen in a long time but he was the actual founder of the brew club they're doing really well now um my friend bess is uh the brewer at something gnome brewing i haven't actually been in yet last time i was here i went to 10 barrel brewing 10 barrel okay yeah, yeah. yeah. so it was good and i enjoyed it yeah so they do they have a really awesome sour series okay they do like a cucumber sour and a raspberry sour um and sell it for pretty affordable and four pack cans you know so that's the kind of the cool thing with the sour it's just becoming more affordable now, grateful gnome is Bess's brewery uh that's actually pretty close to our, our side of town which is cool uh let's transition to your other job uh, you record bands I you're do. a producer yeah uh from what i've heard and seen and know you're very you'll be you're almost like uh What's that guy's name? Like the the fifth Beatle, the sixth Beatle. The, the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're like, you become an extra band member. You're really hands-on involved in more than just recording. You're a producer. I do. Yeah. I, I've, um, yeah, I suppose I am. You never really know, you know, you're like, I kind of do my job in a bubble in a lot of ways. So, mm-hmm. uh, but that's from, from working with bands for a long time and talking about their other experiences. I, I suppose I tend to be more hands-on than some guys. And, uh, and I've sort of become, you know, started attracting bands that are looking for that, which is awesome. Yeah, it's like um, an immersive. I'm, I've never had a studio experience like that. Quite where, like that. Where yeah. it's like immersive and they don't, you're sealed off from the rest yeah. of the world. Yeah. They come and they live with you on your property. Yep. Yeah. And they stay with you approximately how long? Depending on the it band. It depends. Yeah. Like this cattle album, we're getting ready to be, we're going to, just because it's like, I, f- I feel like an important album from them. And we've always been, every album runs short at the end. I mean, every, every studio experience, even you guys, like, you know, when you're essentially producing with a band member, there becomes a time where there's a time crunch, you know? So I'm really trying to avoid that this time and uh, avoid like, I mean, usually the mixes last, so I'm the one that gets screwed, right? You know, if we run <laughs> yeah. late. Yeah, yeah. Or I have to push, or I was like, create a hectic uh, schedule for myself at the end. But this time we're going to 
be in the studio for like eight weeks. Which wow. Is, which is a long time. Yeah. Yeah. But that's mix included and they want to stay for the mix, which hasn't always been the case. Isn't always the case mm-hmm. a lot of times because they're away. You know, it's not and you're not on tour. You're not playing and making money. You're just staying somewhere. Mm-hmm. And at the mix, there's not a lot for the band to do. And in fact, like when I'm getting my basic tones, like kick everyone out like they're they I don't even want them to come and sit on the couch it's like know? backseat drivers yeah, yeah. i kind of the way i i was like what if you're a painter and you're just starting a painting for someone like it would be weird if they were standing behind you the entire time just watching you start from scratch exactly know? yeah so that's that's, that's stressful too it either. is stressful Bre- yeah in. you always kind of like like because it doesn't sound good for a while it takes a while to get there and you just don't want like yeah i've toured with travis i'm always uh in awe of his, how he always has like a vision. Oh yeah. He knows exactly what he wants. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's a very impressive. He is a, he how is a, far he sees into the future, his he, planning. He really yeah. does. Yeah. And like what people maybe not know about him is like what, how his concepts really shape all of these, you know, albums from, from the, from the whole, everything, about everything. It's yeah, yeah. not just the vocals. I mean, his vocals are absolutely unique and, and mm-hmm. far reaching and kind of like ahead of the curve, obviously. Did, did, did he break those out for the first time with you? I think so. I think he, he told me, so like you're, you're talking about like the kind of scream singing his, thing his, he does. His, yeah. his witch cackle. Yeah. Thing. His <laughs> witch cackle. Yeah. He, he would get mad at me if I, if I called it his clean singing part. I know he doesn't like that. But yeah, I've seen that. come on, you know, there's, it's like, it's melodic. Yeah. It's melodic. Yeah. Uh, and he talked about that in our phone calls before that album. He's like, I'm going to try this thing. And I think, um, I have a, I mean, I have, I have a pretty melodic sense to, to me, maybe more so than a lot of death metal guys. And so when I heard it, we, I pushed it more in that direction and we started adding harmonies and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of developed into something that was a little more melodic than maybe he had in mind. I, I don't know for sure. Um, uh, but it was cool. It's it's a it's, signature thing. It's right now. really cool. Yeah. On top of his like eight other voices. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Patrick Lugies and all the other shit. He he's, he's unbelievable. Yeah, right he now. is a maniac. Um, when did you start recording bands? How did that come about? Uh, early on, like um, when I was like 17 or 18. I remember li- literally at a point too, because I was in bands in high school, played in punk rock bands and crust punk bands and kind of started verging into metal. I went, I remember I went to Milwaukee metal fest and I was a metal fan, but I went to Milwaukee metal fest in 1997 and then came back and was like, okay, that's it. I'm not, I'm not a punk rocker anymore. I'm a metal dude. <laughs> that festival back in the day was the, it was, the festival. Yeah. And yeah, I went yeah. three or four years in a row after that. And it was like, and I think back to the bands I saw and it was insane. You know, those lineups were crazy mm-hmm. and, um, metal wasn't anywhere near like the money making monolith it is now. So it was still a pretty shady festival and it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, hear a lot of stories about how it was run and, I had a metal band. We played it like right towards the end and it's, it was fun. I have good memories, but uh, it got real bad. Like the last one or two years were just like, I played it. Did you? Yeah. In like 2007. Oh, that must've been or eight. Yeah. There was nobody there. Yeah. I and think we drove from Montreal oh, just man. for the gig. One gig. It was like, yeah. Yeah. I, I think when, uh, New England metal hardcore festival started, that was like the beginning of the end. Cause they did a similar thing. But it was way, way better run, you know? Yeah, at the Palladium. Yeah. Yeah. But so, yeah, like back in the day, I was like 17, 18. I had a four track and I was in high school and I was like, you know, like 
getting ready to graduate and all have those like, what am I going to do? And I grow up some thoughts <laughs> in my head, you know, and then I was with literally gu- guidance counselor. Yeah. So I was literally, it was like messy with this four track. I didn't have uh, mic stands. I used to uh, like, I had cables that I would tape the cable to the ceiling and drape it down on top of my drum set, you know? So very uh, punk rock, very low budget. And did you play drums? I did. Yeah. That's my original instrument was drums. Yeah. Um, I've kind of done it all at this point, but my original instrument is drums. But yeah, then I, I had a moment there. I was like, oh, I should just do this. And then I just like literally from that point on, I was like 17. I just started like saving up money and buying gear when I could. And then it was just like, it was my job. I mean, I, I was like my only other, my last job before that was like busing tables when I was 18. And then I started recording bands. Wow. Yeah. So it's been like a long time of managing to do it, um, you know, full time, I guess, as a living. What would be the, uh, your first big band? Cephalic for yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. It would definitely be local Cephalic. boys, local, local boys. boys yeah. yeah. And they'd heard my, my band, you know, my recordings and, uh, gave me a shot kind of, the, um, the blast beat parties continuing yeah. upstairs. <laughs> so, and that was cool. That was a really fun album. The first one I did with them. Well, the very first recording I did was halls of Amenti, which yes, is like, yeah, yeah. So it's like yeah. not as known. It was like a, their 20 minute, yeah. 25 minute long doom song that came out on willow tip. It wasn't on relapse. And there's, you know, if you know this fall guys like that, isn't, that's not a surprising thing that they would do, do something weird like that. And it was really fun. I, I mean, I remember like, they're just very experimental, wacky dudes. So yeah, I, Leonard, I, Leonard's amazing. Yeah, all of them are, yeah. you know. So we were like running around. This was in my mom's basement. You know, it was where my studio was in my mom's basement. I was like 18, probably running around with a mic recording like crinkling candy wrappers and like putting all this weird crap in the song. And they were playing with their pedals. And I'd never seen anything like this before. And I was like a huge cephalic fan, you know, because I'm, a, I'm like a four or five years younger than most of those guys so they were the hometown heroes absolutely you know? like yeah. they were especially the, back then they yeah were, back they were really they, big they, they were the yeah. only colorado band in extreme you know death metal that were that was doing anything and they were amazing live they're so good live i'm still holding my breath i want them to come back yeah we'll see i hear rumors we'll see yeah i may know some of those rumors but um <laughs> we'll but talk after we'll all we'll all believe it when we see it so <laughs> what are some of the biggest challenges when recording bands uh i don't know probably like like for those longer sessions it's like interpersonal stuff can can get you know it's just like uh it's strange like in the in the more talented bands some of the bigger bands you'll find stronger personalities which which shouldn't really come as a surprise you know especially um some of the like ultra creative geniuses out there they just tend to be slightly autistic yeah (laughs) (laughs) on some sort of a spectrum yeah yeah yeah. so that can be challenging at times just like managing that do Um, you find yourself playing like a psychiatrist role a lot of the kind of it's kind of that it really it's different or babysitting it's both honestly (laughs) and and then um keeping things on track you know like Mm -hmm. keeping progress happening because at the end of the day like I'm the one that's getting paid to produce this product, and if if there are delays or there are issues, it it, it ultimately comes down on me, you know. So that can be one of the more challenging parts. Um, the other, the I guess the other stuff is just trying to like keep yourself fresh. Like I, as I've gotten older, which I'm pretty fucking old now, uh, I've uh, I've like strived to keep a. a better work-life balance um to maintain that creativity because here i am you know any creative field 
it's like something nothing not something you can force Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I found that I can you can burn yourself out pretty bad, you know. Like honestly, at this moment, I'm getting a bit drained from uh, <laughs> from uh, just a lot of work, you know. So like I have a I actually have a, a few days off this week with my daughter for spring break, so it'll be good. Yes, and it's coming breathing. at just the right time, you know, because I'll just need to step away for a bit, and then I can come back and have a renewed vigor or whatever. But that's that's definitely can be a struggle because deadlines and um it's fun so you want to work you know Mm -hmm. Uh, but sometimes you can just find yourself creatively worn down i know chris before this tour he had to mix 10 albums oh my god (laughs) in like a week holy (laughs) shit yeah so wow He's, he's he was a pretty busy poor guy. Yeah, he's like, hey, when, when when can we jam? He's like, I can't. Yeah, and then he, and then he has to go on tour for like exactly. what, a month. Yeah, so he's saying like, that it's hard too because he's working, 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 and mm-hmm. now tour. It's like, yep, it's just really the same thing. To do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's true. You can. I mean, these days. Get yourself a little audio interface, good pair of headphones. A lot of guys are mixing work at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I I don't th- I wouldn't be comfortable, but a lot of people. Do I think that. he likes has to be at your yeah. spot. Yeah. You have your monitors and your treated yeah. control room. But he's building. You have to talk to him. He's building like a whole oh, mixing room in his house. Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. Who was the the most influential producer for you growing up? Uh, I don't know. I'm, growing up, honestly, it would probably have to be Andy Sneap because mm-hmm. it was just course, like yeah. he was just like the dude right in that heyday. Like that first Arch Enemy album he did just sounded so incredible, so super incredible. And and uh, he gets a lot of flack for. You know, like we were just watching some uh, 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 Finrez interview or whatever, and he was uh, talking shit on like a typewriter drums, Andy Sneap, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but honestly, like he's he's not even the worst, you know, I mean, he, he I did. I guess he was one of the first guys who had that modern drum sound, mm-hmm. but especially now his stuff sounds, you know, it's produced. But it sounds like guys playing drums. Like the the new Judas Priest album sounds incredible. It sounds I agree. So good. It's like the best they've sounded maybe ever. You know, no, as I far agree. as like yeah. pure tones. I mean, I don't know. Painkiller is pretty timeless. But um, so he's a badass. But currently, it'd probably be Jens. Jens is one of my favorite dudes. Like really, all of his productions have just the right amount of production and uh, humanity to them you know organic feel so which, like is, a, which is important now a hundred percent yeah and i'm I, there's definitely a shift coming back so andy sneep started this thing that unfortunately some other people like grabbed hold of and then just like took way too far you know so there was a period of like you know scene core bands just like that where it was like just hard, computer it was just computer it's yeah. like, it's like these yeah. aren't even humans you know and that really did fall into a lot of the tech scene too their albums that were just like sounded like you were just reamping your guitar pro songs mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know and it was really boring i mean it's, it's boring yeah, it's yeah. all the drums sound the same all the sound yeah, yeah. yeah it's like and it's it's really impressive for like f- for like a few minutes and then you're just like yeah your brain can't I'm even kind of comprehend it anymore. yeah yeah, yeah. doesn't sound like people you know yeah there's no like like it's still it's uh it's a it's a, a human art form it's supposed to connect with human emotions and when you just remove all of the humanity then what what's left it's not true. a lot it's yeah. just like it's like it's a candy it's like a quick it's, it's, comic book. it's supposed to be like a representation of the show yeah i, I mean kind of it's not, i'm like and then i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't i don't know if i would say that because i i have a i've Maybe I'm like PTSD and out right now, but I have, you know, you as a producer, you have bands that don't want to do things that can't recreate live kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I understand that to a, to an extent, but it is a different venue. And uh, at a show, you have 
um, the, all the, the visual, people around yeah. you. You you probably have a, f- a few drinks. Mm-hmm. You're watching the band. There's a lot of like uh, palatable energy, you know, that you're seeing and and are surrounding you. On an album, there's none of that. That's so, true. That yeah. So if you only view it, as you don't like, even have a booklet anymore. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of the time yeah, you're just, you just, you're just you streaming you it. Stare yeah. at a tiny uh, thumbnail of the album yeah. cover on your Spotify. You don't even widget. have that tactile stimulation yeah. anymore. So 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 you. So, so you shouldn't uh, necessarily hold the recorded medium back, um, you know, and try and match it to the live show because y- you got to go further. The, you have a lot. It's harder to impress someone. It is when they're by themselves yeah. and they're, you know, you can't control the surroundings and stuff. So they're they're I wouldn't tie it to the live show directly, but they should complement each other. I suppose there shouldn't be any surprises either way. I, I guess that's a good way to put it. You shouldn't listen to an album and then go see a band live and be like, <laughs> yeah, <no laughs> you know, or, or vice versa. Or it's all backing tracks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, uh, is the record you're most proud of? I don't think I could pick any one of my little musical babies like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love them all. <laughs> I love them all equally. <laughs> Teddy's here. <laughs> um, yeah, there's no way I could pick. I mean, I have like, I I look back fondly on like that's the first Cephalic album because it was a monumental time in my life and my career, and we did crazy things. Like, we had so much time. We had two months until this cattle album I'm doing. That was probably the longest I've ever spent on an album, mm-hmm. and because I was, I think I was 20 when I recorded that. Like, I couldn't even drink beer. They were like bringing beer, and they were like. I could hear them like, I don't know, should we give Dave any? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he can handle it. Yeah. So, and it was, uh, and I was cheap, you know, I still live in my mom's basement. So I, there was like, I, I didn't charge her much and I was there for two months and we just did some crazy stuff and it was a good, um, especially early on, you know, and honestly, even now I learn as much from each session I do, um, as, as maybe musicians do from working with me. You take a lot from that experience and it was, uh, is a good way to, to break in my, you know, studio career, producing career because they're so experimental and, and rather, rather than just being like kind of a paint by numbers album, it was the farthest thing from that. And it was a good way to start. And maybe, maybe, uh, enabled me to think outside of the box a little more like past that you know which which is interesting I wanted to ask you about this is the because yeah. I saw I, I don't know if it was nailed the mix where uh-huh. you're talking about the gunshots yeah, yeah for yeah. the arch spire yeah how often is it that you do things that you're talking about crinkling paper uh, where does know, it, where does this come from I'm, I'm, extra I will, textures I will definitely say that a lot of that is like comes from the band like the gunshot idea they had pre-planned. Um, but to actually go get a real gunshot. That versus- was that was the part that I brought in. Well, because I have a couple of guns and I, I'm not like a crazy <laughs> person with guns by any means. But the fact that I am uh, have some Canadians in town and it was just like kind of the funny thing to do is to take Canadians shooting, you know, American assault rifles, America. Uh, <laughs> so it was just kind of fun. I was like, well, if we have a day off, which we managed to squeeze a day off. Let's go do that, and and they were all about it. And then they they had already talked about the gunshot sample thing, which is a, a bit of an homage to like a Tech Nine song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, and I was like, I happen to have this little portable zoom recorder, not unlike uh, the unit that we're we're recording on right now, uh, that I just took it out and put, threw it on a tripod and just recorded like an hour or two, and went back and found some, just found some clean hits, you know, some shots. And it sounds cool. It sounds it, cool. It does, it does sound cool. Yeah. yeah, it caught me off guard right away. Yeah, when I my first listen through of that CD. And it's yeah. uh and like there's benefit of like just like you know good old bonding moments of things yeah. like that. It gives you good story. 
for sure you know and now it's like a youtube video you know it's like so there's there's uh what would be some other crazy shit like that that you've done uh who knows a lot of them would be cephalic i mean i probably some of them i don't know if i should talk about a podcast because they involve illicit drug use <laughs> not uh, not 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 of my own illicit drug use i've always i've always been a, f- a fairly clean cut fellow um but ah, fuck it. We did. We spent like a whole day where all those dudes just took a bunch of mushrooms, and we had everything set up and mic'd, and they tried to write a song on mushrooms, which lasted like thirty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and then we abandoned all the instruments, and then we were literally there till like four in the morning, and I just had like six XLR cables daisy chained, and going to all these mics. We were in this huge warehouse that they used to rent full of just random stuff and we were just like going around just like creating weird sounds he had like sheet uh, metals of like uh, aluminum like yeah, sheet yeah. panels of aluminum we were getting like weird yeah, sounds yeah, yeah, yeah. and they had like a like a like a little like it wasn't like a rollerblade hockey setup but it, like was that without the roller I, I know they, they love street hockey. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. we were like playing street, we were like like smacking things with hockey pucks and recording it and a lot of that weird shit ended up on the album really yeah that, and with there's a lot of experimentation on that first album they had they were kind of at that time known for bass drops so one we spent a long time dialing in like the most perfect bass drops but then there's a part on that album um where we're like well let's not do a bass drop let's just <laughs> we created i think like a, a 32 hertz sine wave which for those of you who don't know, is extremely low. It's like it's like really not even audible. You know, like <laughs> human, yeah, human human hearing like technically it sends down to twenty hertz, but that's like twenty um, vibrations per second. You know, so we're just above that at thirty two, and it's like most speakers can't even reproduce that. Wow, and if you yeah. if they can, you just feel it. So instead of a bass drop, I just made a thirty two hertz sine wave, and we put it underneath a whole section. So it's like tw- it's like twenty seconds of it's just, just like nauseating. Yeah, yeah. and uh, they told they told me a year or two later that uh, one of the one of the guys in Three Inches of Blood I think had come through town and uh, was mad at them because it blew up his subs in his car. <laughs> <laughs> Three Inches of Blood, Canadian boys. Yeah, yes, so yes. that was that's a good story. So like really like a tons of cephalic. Um, some like the Arts Bar thing it was a cool thing. Um, cattle albums we've done some cool stuff too as far as like uh, recording like uh, for monolith I, I forget the name of the song but it's like near the end of the album and it's not really a metal song it's more of an interlude they typically yes. have like an interlude yes, yes yes we recorded this like like hand drum that travis brought and did a bunch of like weird kind of sound design stuff like that did some keyboards and you know like fucked them up a little bit you know so it's pretty fun it's definitely like it's a luxury to get to that point where you can spend time on that stuff because um the way the music industry is and budgets and things like that it's like it's it can get a little bit of that uh you know just like run and gun attitude like next thing next thing next thing no no thinking no time for like experimentation Experimentation. next thing next thing um but yeah like cattle's a band that kind of like insists on that and we have to plan for it and and hence, hence the two, two hence, months coming yeah, up. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So if uh, people are familiar with uh, the band Cobalt, um, cool kind of like, um, I don't know what you, I guess it's black metal, but it's also like, it's like if Tool were a black metal band, I think. Okay. okay. Um, a pretty, pretty legendary band in their own little circle. But yeah, we, uh, I did borrow one of my girlfriend's vibrators that had some like 
It's like a multi-function one, and we held it up uh, like uh, over his pickups and got really? some weird sounds because of the motor. Yeah, that's going, so yeah, cool. Yeah, so that happened once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you could go back and redo one of your records, what record would that be? Uh, I don't know. I like I, I've done the remixes a few times, but and I will if the band wants to. But I don't. I honestly don't really believe in it too much. I don't think I would redo anything. Um. I kind of, I guess I, unless there are extenuating circumstances, like, uh, like someone got hurt or there was like a personal issue that really affected the recording. If it's more of like, well, Hey, I wasn't as good at doing this back then. I was like, well, yeah, but that record should just serve as a, as a snapshot in time for, mm-hmm. for everyone yeah. involved, yeah. you know? So you know, remastering things is fine. Like I, I'm okay with doing that. If, if maybe if it was never released on vinyl or there's going to be a special edition or something like that, touch it up a little bit, like, but broad strokes, you know, I'm not too much of a fan of like digging, digging all that back up. I mean, if you just re, if you want to re-record some songs, re-record some songs, that's fine. But, um, if you're to the point where that's even a possibility, then there are people who love those albums and those recordings and don't do that to them don't yeah, you know yeah, just yeah. like let them like they're doing fine on their own you know that's a good answer uh what is a band that you haven't worked with that you would love to work with cryptopsy i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> i wish i'm down yeah sorry chris i'm sure chris would like to sit beside you at, oh man he'd probably love to take yeah. some time off you yeah, know yeah. and just like kick back and to actually yeah, and i don't think he's ever had the luxury to ever do that yeah it's hard to do and he's he's experienced enough that i'm sure he can do it great but he would pro- probably also be the first to tell you that it's not easy to to essentially uh sit on both sides of the desk you oh know? yeah no yeah yeah I think I like not that I'm a capable uh, musician uh, to be worthy of that, but I think I could probably do it at this point because I just have so much experience in the producing role. But um, most of the times when bands, I know I'm kind of getting sidetracked here, but now most of the time when bands self-produce, they have way more experience as a, as a musician and it's too, it's very difficult for them to to play both sides. You know, I think so So, too for him. Yeah. I'm sure he's probably, he's got it down at this point. He was very happy to go and have, see how Jason would mix oh, our project though. Yep. Jason Sukov yep. Tome 1 yep. Yep. so he really enjoyed that oh, so I'm yeah, sure that sure. he would enjoy for picking sure. your brain on yeah. certain things so maybe that'll happen I'm sure day. it's going to happen later yeah. tonight I'm surprised <laughs> I'm surprised it didn't start right away <laughs> cool. Lassie Lambert came out Oh, cool! Yeah, and yeah. when we were in Europe, and uh-huh. we just all go to bed, and yeah, they they just go at it because we don't understand what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, we can get a little nerdy. But we don't like uh, yeah, the studio guys don't get a lot of opportunity to to chat about that, sh- that stuff. Out. Yeah, <laughs> so it kind of like it can be shocking to those around. <laughs> Who do you so if you do have a real band? Um, I don't know. I mean, I just go to my favorite bands, which you know, like. Uh, if I could transport myself back to uh, the mid '90s and record Emperor or Judas Priest at any point in their career, um, Enslaved is another personal favorite. But you know that the Catch Twenty Two here is I I love all of the albums that these bands put out with the producers they go to. So I, part of me doesn't want to doesn't want to ruin that. Either. And then you won't have the experience and then I, of yeah, just enjoying I'm just the album, enjoying it. Yeah, and then and then uh, holy shit, would the pressure be mounting? <laughs> you know, with with a band that I was just like, uh, you know in love with like that so and that's hard um gore guts yeah yeah i'm, I'm a huge fan gore yeah, guts yeah. yeah that would be one 
So, do you have anything you want to add? I got to go get ready for a show tonight. Um, who does you got cattle coming up? I do have cattle who else, coming who else up. Did you have coming up after that? Um, I know I'm not sure what's on the. I feel like cattle's booked in my studio for the next like three years, so <laughs> I can't think past that too much. But I'll give some shout outs to stuff that I've done recently, like uh, Legion Records coming out really soon. Uh, those guys are awesome. Um, our spark's been out for a while. Um, we we may be uh, very casually discussing another album with those guys, so that's a possibility. Although, still don't, don't hold me to that. Nothing's locked in. Um, Chemist album. You know, I'm always working with those guys. I'm really good friends of mine. We we discussed them earlier because of the true thing. Really rad stuff and very different. You know, I I, I like that band a lot because it's so different from fantastic, a lot of the stuff. That fantastic I, yeah. vocals. And from what I'm known for, it's like it's good. It's good. You know, even though I work on all kinds of stuff, like everyone thinks of me as like the cattle guy and the arch buyer guy. So it's cool to to do something that's like on the opposite side of the spectrum. Absolutely, that yeah. I really enjoy. You know, because I love classic heavy metal, and that's really what they sound like to me. You know, it's a modern take on classic heavy metal. So. So yeah, that's it. I had pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. It was really oh, fun. Super. Yeah, I was as soon as I saw you were coming, I was like, yes, I'm gonna awesome. ask him. Yeah. Hell yeah. Cheers. Thank you so much, Dave. Cheers, man. Thank you all for listening so much to the end. I'm uh, so excited to speak with Dave just because of all the the production that he does. I was uh, excited to pick his brain to see how he gets bands to get to where he brings them. And then it turns out that he was a huge craft beer nerd like me. And the discussion just spiraled into a better direction. And I really had a good time. Uh, I'd love to hang out with him again. Shout out to you, Dave. Thank you for being a part of the podcast. Really appreciate it. Uh, next week on the podcast, I got Monty Bernard of the Casting Metal podcast uh we had a great little chat uh, in portland we went out to a great little tap house and uh, we talked about uh, podcasting and uh, road stories because he's been singing for faluya he sang for the kennedy vale amongst other bands uh, uh, even though the blast Beat party is ending for us this week uh, i'm home for about eight to ten days and then i'm off to europe for uh, the European tour, which is going to be starting at the Netherlands Death Fest on May 3rd, and then the Dreamer Fest on the 4th, uh, and then we hit off a whole bunch of club dates leading up into Scandinavia and back down through Germany alongside Ingested, Insight, Night Rage, Demonical, and Glory Hole Guillotine. All of those ticket links are available on the Cryptopsy website and will be in the description, so you should come out. Check it out, and I'm going to be doing the same beer thing. You want to come to the show for free? Hit me up. I'll get you a guest list. You bring me some local craft beers from where you live, and I'll get you a free ticket. Thank you so much all for listening. I hope you have a great week. Um, I'm excited to go home to be with my family, so uh, hang out with your loved ones, hang out with your friends, hug your children, and drink great craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hopsheads. Hello out there. Yes, Rock, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!